I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams, uh, and I'm here with a very good friend of the show, one of our earliest friends, one of our best friends. It's Dave Hunter. How are you going, Dave? I'm good, Michael. That's a great intro. Um, thank you very much for calling me a friend on many occasions. And uh, yeah, it's it's really a, it's a massive honour to be on your on your podcast. Uh, uh, you flatter us, and it's uh, I, I mean that in, in every sense of the word. You uh, run our fan page on Facebook, which is. Uh, really nice thing of you to do so that anyone who's not on top of that uh, i always forget the name it's rld super league war discussion forum is that the it's probably i i, I changed it i think it's something like that look i'll i can find out for you very quickly <laughs> it's called rld super league war discussion there you go yep perfect so anyone on facebook who's not on top of that uh please join there's always some good debate and you put up up some great stats and various polls and surveys and all the rest of it so get on board if you're not already you have since spread your your wings and started your own podcast the hyper space thetic rl podcast um so I, I don't want to take credit for your work, but I do feel a sense of pride. Like uh, if coaches have coaching trees, I consider you part of our podcasting tree. Yep. But you, you're doing some great work with the Hypothetic RL, Dave. And, and I think uh, talking about that show probably gives us a bit of an insight into your particular strand of rugby league nerddom. So do you want to speak a bit about what the Hypothetic RL podcast is all about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so as you said, it's a, it's a good insight into my um, my crazy world, the thing that goes on inside my head. So I'm, I mean, as a Parramatta supporter, uh, you're pretty much going to find a lot of us who, who like to talk about what-ifs because there's a lot of what-ifs for Parramatta. Um, and, you know, I was sitting there one day, I was listening to, obviously listening to your podcast, a few of the other ones I listened to, and I thought... There's a there's these great history podcasts, but what about you know the alternate histories? What about we we muck around with history and we say, look, let's let's change one event and see see how that affects everything going down the line. And that's that's the basic premise of it is that what we're gonna what we you know what we do each week is or each episode we take an event, sometimes a very small event, and then we kind of just extrapolate it out to see you know what could have happened if if that's the you know if that's what uh, occurred. Um, it's it's all just well, pretty much most of the episodes have been just me sitting in a room, just chatting to myself, and uh, yeah, you know, just trying to trying to make it as insane as possible. Um, I get a lot of positive feedback on the really weird ones, so that's that's obviously what people enjoy. Um, and I just I just really like to to do them. But you know, sometimes I, I just did one recently that just came out that was a you know Parramatta in two thousand and nine. What if Todd Lowry passes to Jared Hayne and we win that grand final? And uh, it might have been the late night, but by the time I got to the end, I was a little bit like I was actually starting to tear up because I thought, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a it wasn't a happy tear. It was a it was a disappointment because it was like I did that one, and that was one of the ones I I earmarked right at the start. I said I want to do this one because I just want to get that feeling of yes, we win. But then it was this disappointment of hey, that didn't actually happen, and I'm like oh. <laughs> You know, one of the things. Well, you've nicely brought us to the point uh, where we are at with this episode. This is one of our case studies, uh, which we're doing on your beloved Parramatta Eels. Um, Just last thing on the hypothetic RL, uh, you're really going from strength to strength. And any time you you trip up in, in the sheer convolution of it all, the more deranged it gets the better. So it's it's a really fun list and I urge anyone who uh, isn't listening to get on top of that. Your new you know mini series of that show 
actually uh, has a lot of relevance to what we're doing with our Super League war with your Irrational Merger series. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I was talking to, to one of them uh, last night, so I've recorded 10 so far, uh, and one of the, the fellas that I was talking to last night, it wasn't on the podca- podcast, it was afterwards, uh, and we, we were discussing, and I sort of said, look, the reason why I'm doing this series is because, obviously, you know, you had the guys from Chasing Kangaroos on, you had Big T and, and Carbs and you guys were talking, and then you mentioned my podcast, and you said, "Hey, we've got a good one for you about Super League." And then you sort of sent me a message and said, oh, "I've got you know heaps more." And I went, "Well, I've got like thirty or forty different things." <laughs> so I thought it's it's too big of a topic. And I sort of said to this fellow last night, "When I'm going to do a big topic, I'm going to need to break it down into smaller little bite-sized pieces because I don't want a six-hour podcast. Um, mm. No one's going to listen to it." So the idea of this one is to is to identify each of the teams and just go through something, you know, just sort of see where we could go with mergers. So, you know, and I think the idea in the future would be other Super League topics or other bigger topics that I just do a little mini-series because I think it works better that way. Mm. It, it's funny because the, the origins of our Super League series were, as you know, in, in our previous incarnation of the show, we were doing, you know, little history segments. But I, I came up against all these subjects i wanted to do that i couldn't do because it would require doing super league so so i eventually said well we're just going to have to do super league and you know i was thinking it was going to be this eight part series uh, and now we're you know 35 episodes in and, and we haven't cleared 1995 yet so uh, i understand full well how easy it is to go down a rugby league history rabbit hole so i, I think we're kindred spirits in that respect to to, a, to an extent but then i know from you know, from what you talk about and and what we've talked about before is the, you know, the amount of meticulous detail that you go to. You know, I don't think I'd ever go to that much detail with research. You you put so much effort in, and and I just want to like on behalf of all the all the listeners out there, I just want to really thank you for how much you're doing, like how much research you've done. Um, and you know, we've been crying out for for this in depth study into the Super League war and this, you know, for for so long. And it's it's really great that you're doing it. And you know, like it. Like I said to some of the other guys, you're, you know, you're, well, I said to um, a guy we know in common, you know, did you know that your mate is like a podcast celebrity? Like he's the, <laughs> in NRL Twitter, he's like one of the gods. So, you know, like it, and, and he's, his thing was like, you know, Michael always puts a lot of research in. And I said, yeah, we know. Like we know how much research <laughs> Michael puts in. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that, mate. Uh, so l- let's move on to the topic at hand, uh, Parramatta. So, where does it all start for you in terms of Parramatta? So, it's, I mean, it starts for me as a child. I was a, I was a fan because it was my family team. Um, what I've been, what I sort of ask other people about is why did you become a, a fan of your team? Um, my story is that, you know, my grandfather and his brothers all played lower grades at Parramatta, um, but they were all from Newtown and, you know, inner city and stuff like that. So they all traveled out to Parramatta to play. Um, obviously my dad became a fan because his dad played for them and that was the family team. And then I became a fan because, because of that. Um, on many occasions as a younger child, I tried, I tried to be fans of other teams and my dad just said, we can live outside. Uh, (laughs) so, you know, I didn't really have much choice and, you know, once you, I kind of came up in the right era. So, you know, as a six year old, we won the premiership, which is pretty good. You know, I don't really remember it, but I know that. You know, I know that that we were a successful team at the time, so it made me feel really good about it. You know, and we'd obviously that was our big run, and it was the end of everything. But we didn't, I didn't know about it at the time. But you know, that's that's kind of where we started. You know, like a family team. Um, I've I've tried to look into it before. My my dad says, "Oh, look, you know, one of your one of my uncles got really close to first grade, like you know, on a reserve list or you know, pretty close to it. Um, but yeah, they never really cracked it and." I mean, my grandfather, he's passed away now, but he was a, you know, a little nippy winger in the third grade of, par- of the Parramatta system. And, you know, it just sort of, it's that, it's that family connection, you know what I mean? So it's like, it, you kind of identify with being the Parramatta fan because it's your whole family sort of thing. So, you know, that's, that's really where it starts. Um, it's, it's a sort of, it's a, how do I put it? It's a hard team to follow. Um, it's a hard club to follow because there's so much, you know, so much heartbreak in it. Um, I know every team, every other team's got that, but it just feels like you get bred as a Parramatta fan, you get bred for disappointment and you, you're ready for it. It's kind of, it makes you ready for the disappointments in life because you know you're never going to get to the top. 
So I know it seems a little pessimistic, but you know, if you talk to a Parramatta's fan, there's there's this strange optimism, pessimism that sort of comes with it. You know, you can't really, you can never really be happy. You never really, you're never really sure you're going to win, and then you just don't win. So it's really funny because you know we're about the same age. So I grew up not as a Parramatta fan, but with the the knowledge of them being a really good team, a really strong team. Even though I was too young for the glory days, they still had that legacy. And it's only as you get older and the years go by and, you know, now we're looking at them, you know, 34 years on with the longest active premiership drought. It's only now where you look back and you see that as that era is kind of an aberration, not really the way they've been since 1947, which is much more likely to be disappointment. Well, that's that's sort of what I, when, when we were setting up for this, I wanted to sort of talk about because... You know, like right from foundation of Parramatta, you know, back in late 46 and when they came in at 47, they were never a successful team. Like it was, you know, they started, they finished last in their first season, like a lot of teams do that, but, you know, finished last. They had sort of close to last or, you know, not great season. I think 49 was okay. They they were like one win out of the out of the top four, like that, but it was aberration again, you know, and they got to like between 54 and 61 they they came last seven of eight times so you know look it's it's not it's not a really great sort of history but the the strange thing about Parramatta is that you've got such a great junior base but every time they have any type of success it seems to be from bringing in from other clubs so you know like like I said you know from 54 to 61 very very poor and then they bring in Ken Carney from mm. St George and they finished fourth, fourth, second, and third. So, you know, like, I mean, obviously, Ken moved on before that last one, but, you know, we brought in a lot of players from St. George, from the, yep. you know, from that era. And, you know, they got, they got pretty close. They got within one game of a grand final in there. So, you know, it's not, it's not terrible. But then, as soon as that sort of went away, that era went away, they, they went back to their old ways, you know, coming last, second last, you know, that sort of thing. And then only sort of once they brought in, Norm Proven to coach them in, in the mid-70s, did they then start to... They had that sort of run in the 70s that they had. So what you don't what you don't kind of realise about Parramatta is that, like we always talk about the 80s, but the the mid to late 70s was actually a really good time for them as well. So, you know, they, they made two grand finals in a row in 76 and 77. You know, they were there and thereabouts around 78, 79 and 80. Um, and then obviously get the title in 81. So I kind of see it as the the kind of evolution of that team because you know early in the 70s you had you, you had guys like Ray Price and Mick Cronin um but you didn't really have just that last little bit on top so it took you know them going down to the to the Riverina and picking up guys like Peter Sterling and it took them sort of bringing in just a little bit more class to to sort of become that dominant team they became in the 80s but they the backbone was there in the 70s so it's sort of interesting their timeline and if you kind of break it down you sort of go well you know Mid sixties they had an, an okay run but didn't really go didn't really do anything. The seventies and eighties was their next run and then from then on, you know I mean you could argue the late nineties was a good run as well, but you know, it's pretty much confined to three kind of three kind of good areas in, in a you know, a long history of you're talking you know, what is that, sixty something years history? I can't remember. Mm. I can't maths ain't that great, but you know. Well it's it's funny that there's some Kind of, kind of parallels for me as a Dragons fan. Obviously, we have the historic era, and you mentioned um, Carney and Proven. It's interesting that Ian Walsh, our other Premiership-winning captain coach in that eleven in a row, also coached Parramatta. So a weird little quirk of fate then. But I mean, you take out those eleven Premierships, and it's it's quite similar for St George as well, really. Well, can we take that out? Because I can hypothetically roll that away from you. <laughs> Please don't. That's all we've got. Oh, look, um, I've, I've done it once. I've done it to you guys once, but I, I just put it you, in the You middle. seem to love taking premierships away from the Dragons, I've noticed. Oh, look, it's it's nothing personal. Well, it is something personal because I have... It's not something personal to you, but something personal to, you know, where I grew up. I had a Dragons fan next door and he was over-the-top Dragons fan and just, yeah. Anyway... So it's probably a little bit of personal, but you know, like I do have allegiances to certain teams, as you can tell. I kind of I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Tigers. You know, my, it was my my other grandfather's favourite team, although he didn't really like rugby league. He just had to pick a team. Um, big Gary Jack fan, and you know, I kind of don't mind Norths and Cronulla's okay, and you know, but look, I don't hate St George. It's not like it's some um, going out there to to get you guys or anything, but um, it just kind of when you have eleven in a row, you like to 
just muck around with it. But I will say, I did give you an extra one and gave you 12 in a row once, so. <laughs> All right, we'll call it even. But <laughs> so so we, we've talked about the uh, the near misses of, of Parramatta or their, their natural growth as a club. Um, we should briefly talk about that that premiership era. And I, I kind of think that it maybe in some ways set them up for the, the failure of the next decade, which I can elaborate on. But uh, what what are your thoughts about that team, that era? Like, you know, where they rank historically, any players that um, stand out to you? Well, I mean, you know, like a, I'll, I'll put it this way, my dad's favourite team, my dad's favourite player is Ray Price. I almost became Ray Price Jr., um, so, you know, like that's, that's the family sort of, you know, we really love him. I'm a massive fan of Peter Sterling. You know, I, I used to play junior football and I used to be like a bit of like a five, eight and used to sort of a bit of a swerve and people would go, you're just like Brett Kenny. I'm like, oh, you know, this is, so you realize I grew up, I grew up in Parramatta area. So, you know, even though my family was all from, you know, inner West and or sort of inner city, you know, Newtown, that kind of area, you know, my, my parents moved to Parramatta district when I was like before I was born just a year or two before and so I grew up with all this Parramatta so when you talk about these players like I'll, I'll talk about the 80s era guys because that's who I remember so I remember Cronin and Price and Sterling Kenny you know I'll, I'll even throw an Atkins in there I'm happy to talk about him Ella you know growth you know there's so many I'm just I can name the whole 13 and they're all legends to me like I you know good old Peter Peter Wynn you know his, his Parramatta shop down there Peter Wynn score and you know there's there's so many great players and then when I was sort of growing up and when my dad would talk about it he'd talk about you know Ray Higgs and he'd talk about you know maybe not so much Dennis Fitzgerald but you know some guys in that kind of era and you know he I'd always hear him going on about you know Colk and even even guys like you know Hambly and Ron Lynch and that sort of stuff because that's where mm. that's where he kind of knew and you know like they they were all kind of legends and of course I've I've I'm going to be sacked from the Parramatta Union if I don't mention Kent Thornett, so I'm going to mention yeah. you Um But, you know, like that's that's the kind of era. But for me, in the 80s, it was all about Sterling. Like, Peter Sterling was Parramatta for me. Like, that was – he was my player. I used to – it's going to be embarrassing. I'm going to tell thousands of people this, but that's fine. Um, I used to go out in the backyard when I was about four or five years old with the football kick it around and call myself David Sterling. So, you know, like that, that he was the guy. I had the poster of him. I had, you know, he was the, never met him. And I think I'd be too afraid to meet him because I think I might get a little bit too excited. But, um, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where he, he was my childhood idol. Like that was, I loved all the rest of them, but that was, he was the guy. One thing Andy and I do in our normal podcast is to pick out highly decorated players or coaches that have reached the point of being underrated. And I think Sterling is by far the head of that list. If you look at what he achieved, how, you know, how much he won as a, you know, leading that team in Parramatta, but also the individual awards, how highly he was rated for so much of the eighties. Like we're talking about a guy who should be knocking on the door as an immortal. And you, you so rarely hear him talked about in that context. Yeah. It's, I sometimes think that it's his own fault in a way because he doesn't talk himself up. Um, you know, you listen to him in commentary and, and, you know, like if anyone mentions him, he'll kind of talk it down. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, no, yeah, whatever. And they don't really talk about him anymore. So, you know, I remember when, when Andrew Johns was coming through and they were sort of saying, oh, look, he's one of the greatest halfbacks since, since Sturlo. And then Sturlo would be like, oh, well, I'm nothing compared to Andrew Johns, you know, like, mm. which is fair enough. He can, he can have that opinion, but it just seems to be, you know, like it, he doesn't get talked up, and I'm just not sure why. I'm not sure if it's mm. a, if it's because it's a Parramatta thing. I'm not sure, or whether it's just because he's in commentary, so it's a bit sort of seems a bit wrong to talk him up. But yeah, I mean, he was he was everything to that Parramatta team, and I think we're going to get to that in a sec about their downfall because you you for me the downfall is when when he gets taken out in that game against West, and probably the few years earlier when he doesn't really play. Um, you know, like the end of Sterling's career is pretty much the end of Parramatta in that era. Well, where I come come at it from is I was looking at that 86 team uh, yesterday preparing for this and you're already seeing seeing a bit of a downturn like that team is nowhere near as stacked as the you know the the team that won the three in the row earlier in the 80s then you had at the end of that year Cronin and Price retiring 
And then in the years beyond 86, that team just deteriorates by the year to the point that by like 90-91, like there's no one in that team besides Sterling and Kenny who were both on their way out. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And there's no succession plan. That's I think the they really didn't work. Um, you got to, I suppose you got to realize too that you know, you know in the in the early eighties you had Jack Gibson, you know, and he would have been taking care of you know who brings in and things like that. And then I mean the eighty six coach is John Boney, you know he didn't he doesn't last around Parramatta too much longer. And then we kind of do a bit of an old boys club, you know. You get you get guys like Mick Cronin coaching, you know. You get you know you've got that sort of that different. You don't have the winners if you know what I mean, like. Sort of hard to. I'm not going to put it in a, in a bad way, but you know, like the the coaching. I mean, you get Ron Hildich coaching. Uh, not that he was a terrible coach or anything. It's just that you know they they didn't really they weren't recruiting right. You know, they weren't sort of bringing in the players. They was going, oh well, we'll just continue to win, so we don't have to worry about it. And yep. it's just sort of you know what I mean. Like when you see a, a a real long dynasty, it's not. I mean, we talk about the St George one. The guys are in the first grand final, and the guys that are in the last grand final are not the same guys. There's, there's, mm. there's almost, but the guys in the first one and the last one are, are littered with, you know, internationals and immortals and all kinds of things. So it's not like they just went, here's a great team, we're going to run them to the end, and then we'll figure it out later, which is what Paramount seemed to do. They were renewing themselves all the way through. So I think that's, I think you're right. Like, it's the change, and I think they always thought, well, if we keep Kenny and Sterling, we're you know we're going to be fine. We'll be all right. Don't worry about it. But I mean, you know, you talk about '91. Even though he had Sterling, he wasn't playing very often. You know what I mean? Like he was getting injured quite a lot. So, you know, I remembered we would, we, if we had him, we would, we may win a game. But if we didn't have him, we had no chance. So, you know. So where where do you put the blame? Like, is it the administration? Like, is it the the junior system? Because I mean, even even in the glory days, there's not that many. Parramatta juniors that make up, you know, those all-time players. Like, yeah, I think the thing with the junior system. So, when you talk about junior systems nowadays, it's, it's it sort of gets me a little bit irritated with some people about about the whole. Oh, he's a something junior. Um, a lot of a lot of the times nowadays, they go out to the country and they bring a kid in, and in his teenage years, and he's counted as a junior. Mm. And I th- I think maybe they just stopped doing it. I'm, I'm not sure what they did because you know, like there is some. I'm looking. I kind of look at you know around ninety one, ninety two. There's some reasonable players, but there's no one that really sets the world on fire through that whole through that sort of say ninety two season. You know, like you got guy. I mean, my sister used to love Robert much more because she thought she loved his hair. Um, you know, that's pretty much the the best thing you can say about him. But <laughs> you, know, you brought through you brought through some. There's some good players there. You know, you got Mark Horrow is an international. He's a New Zealander. So you know, there is there is something there, but they just I'm just not sure. I just don't think they went they went actively out to try and try and bring them through. And you know, there's the junior system in Parramatta is is pretty good, like the local boy juniors. But I think you when you actually look at where most of the you know the the really good juniors come from, they're not they're not specifically you know the kids who grow up in the Parramatta district. They're from all over the country, and you know, like that's I think that maybe maybe some of that could have happened. I'm not a big expert in that time period, so I'm not entirely sure whether whether maybe what they did is they they just stopped looking out like outside their sphere. I'm not sure what happens with with the recruitment manager, but I, I think that's where most of the blame is. It's the administration and the recruitment that they just didn't they just didn't identify the talent right, and you can tell you know from from what came through that there wasn't the same amount of talent coming through. So yeah, look, it's not like you can only pick people from your own who grew up in your own district. They needed to. To get out there and to try and find, you know, alternate streams like, like we talk about, you know, the Raiders, you know, the Raiders, Not not many of those guys in the late nineties, late eighties, early nineties are from Canberra itself. They're from all over the place. You know, they've got you've got New Zealanders, you've got Queenslanders. You know, that's what they needed to do. But they obviously didn't bring those players through. They weren't they weren't actively looking at Queensland players. They were they were just bringing in the also rounds that they could find. Which and however you want to square the blame, it leads to an eleven-year semi-final drought from that last premiership. When you think of a Super League context, the absolute worst time to be, you know, reaching your nadir as as an on-field force. But it seems that off-field, like they were travelling okay. Like I, I think it's a strong leagues club, and up to that point, it seems like a, a fairly stable administration. I think it's. 
it's in the mid nineties where you start seeing the the yearly rebel ticket launched against Fitzgerald. But it, it, well, we all like Fitzgerald in the in the um, earlier early nineties. But like it just just going on the the players as well. I remember many times, you know, being sort of around the like the early nineties. They you sort of listen on the radio and you'd gone to a Paramount again. We'd lost usually. Um, and I'd be sitting there, and we usually used to walk up to a certain section, and we'd wait for my mum to come pick us up. And Dad'd have the radio, and you know, you'd you'd turn the radio on, and they'd be talking about, oh, well, you know, for next year, here's all the team, here's all the players that you know teams have signed, and you know, it'd be paramount to be like one person. And you're like, how are we ever going to get any better if if we can't bring anyone in? And that's that's just you know, that seemed to be what the the case was. You know, we, we'd sign one person, and they didn't, I didn't know who that person was. Like it was. You weren't. We weren't going out there to try and find the next talent. So, you know. But look, Fitzgerald, he's a problematic character for Parramatta fans. You know, we we kind of liked him, and then we didn't like him. And you know, he runs a very good leagues club, and we made a lot of money in the leagues club. But you feel like the the leagues club became more important than the football club. Yeah, that's probably you know when you're running a football club and you're trying to win. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you get from poker machines because, you you know, if you're not going to have a, a winning team, it's sort of it's useless, you know. It's, what's the point of what's the point of having a, you know, a non-winning team in a really great league club? Well, it's, it's like Andy and I always say, like, just get out of football. Open a casino. Like, if, if, if that's where your passion lies, just get out of football. But- I, I think you probably would have. I think if he could have, if he could have just run it as, as the league's club without the football, he probably would have. I'd I don't know. I don't know much about him personally, but you know, like it did seem like he didn't really. He didn't like the Parramatta, and he certainly didn't like the boys from the eighties. He was. Um, he didn't. He definitely didn't like Ray Price. So um, you know, there's there may be a little of animosity there, and he probably just went, "Oh, look, you know, who cares about the football team? I'm making a lot of money here, and this is where the yeah, exactly what you're saying. Why don't they just get out of it and just run a leagues club?" Well, I think I don't know if it was the first. I'm 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 going to say it's the first. Uh, you know attempted coup against him, which was led by uh, Jack Gibson. Uh, and I think Terry Fernley was involved as well. This was in about 96. And Gibson actually said, uh, he can have the leagues club. We just want him away from the football operations. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing too, is that they were they were joined together. And I'm not sure when that sort of occurred, but that only fairly recently sort of got separated out again because the football club was, you know, you could be a member of the leagues club. And it was like an automatic football club, and then there was, you know, is this this is weird thing in Parramatta where, you know, normally you become a member of the football club, but everyone was just Leagues Club members, and they were just, you know, everything was kind of owned by the Leagues Club. So rather than the football club owns everything and they get a grant from the Leagues Club, it was more like the Leagues Club owns everything and they have control, so they can do whatever they want. Mm. It's just a weird dynamic. So I mean, I'm I'm fairly sure it's been fixed now from from what I can figure out, but you know, like that's not. Usually, the way you run it is your football club is your football club, and they get money from the league's club rather than it being run by the league's club. Yeah, but it it was a strong league's club, which I I think is is probably the ultimate savior as, as of Parramatta as we you know get beyond get into the NRL era. But let let's stay in nineteen ninety five Super League hits. Uh, Parramatta have an abysmal season. I think it was three games you won all year. Uh, a complete like squad of absolute no names what what i usually do what i should have done at the start was to to get uh some perspective on where you were at at super league at that point yeah uh look i'm a Parramatta fan and wherever they went i would have gone with them yeah in saying that because you know i was like you know teenager i'd kind of in a sense i'd kind of fallen out of love with it with it a little bit you know I still went to games and everything, but I wasn't I wasn't that involved. Like not like I am now. Um, and you know, even in that point around this, and sort of when we went further on, I kind of not that I turned away from the game, but I wasn't really worried about going. You know, I I wouldn't like I wasn't going with my dad anymore. Um, I think he'd kind of fallen out of love with it a little bit as well. And you know, like I might go to maybe two games a year with some friends or something. That was that was where I was at sort of by ninety five. So. I do remember going to the game that we played the Sydney Tigers at Paramount Stadium, which was interesting. Seeing a team called Sydney playing out of my my home yeah. ground, you know, it was really weird. But um, you know, I I'd kind of I wasn't going that often, and you know, being a teenager, you don't you got better things to do, you know. And I was still playing football, so you know, I was still involved, but maybe not turning up to the game as much. But look, I think if 
if Parramatta had said, oh, look, you know, now we're going to Super League, I probably would have watched the Super League and not watched the ARL. But, you know, I didn't really... To be honest, 95, I wasn't really paying attention because we were, we were pretty shit. So what was what was the point of watching if we we're just going to lose every round? And, you know, and it was the... I think it was the case that I always thank the Gold Coast, you know, the Gold Coast Seagulls for being in existence because they saved us two more wooden spoons then. So, yeah. you know, we we were terrible. We were like one of the worst teams. And, like, it sort of goes back to that whole Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny, you know, they we were just holding on to that last little bit of, of what we could get out of them. And I think if you have a look at, at the kind of players that we were bringing through at the time, you know, we had we had Jason Bell till 92 and then he left. You know, we had David Penner until, like, 93 and then he left. And then, you know, we had Michael Butner around the time and then he kind of left and came back as well. You know, Michael Butner was still there around 95. But, you know, we had all these these kind of these halves that we tried through and obviously, you know, when when Sterling finally retired the you know, the heir apparent was a fellow called Stu Galbraith and um no disrespect to Stu, but he wasn't he wasn't very good. And tried very hard but just wasn't wasn't the same player and then you know, like it, I remember because you know, I used to go to, to all three grades. Like that's how that's how we used to go. We we'd turn up for the under twenties or President's Cup or what it was called at the time. We'd watch them, we'd watch the reserve grade and and then we'd watch these young players coming through and we always had this or maybe this guy will be the next Peter Sterling. So even back then, even the early nineties, we were still going, Oh, this will be the next Peter Sterling you know, and they just none of them were ever quite there. You know, I I was having a little bit of a look, a little bit of research as we went in and just looking at some of these players and, you know, name popped out, you know, Martin Seal. I remember Martin Seal, I thought he was a fantastic player. I thought oh, this guy's gonna be one of you know, he's he's gonna be a great halfback and yeah, he wasn't that good. <laughs> so, you know, it's just we were always we were always hoping that we could just find that next kind of player that would just bring us back to glory again. And you know, and by the time I got to '95 and we weren't doing too well, I, I sort of had, like I said, I'd sort of fallen about it, out of love with it a little bit. And like so I hadn't gone that many times. And then, obviously, Super League happens. The '96 season wasn't that that great either. Um, and then, you know, by the time I got to '97, I mean, I I watched some games. I watched the grand final in '97, but I wasn't that much like, oh, uh, you know, I I love this game so much. I'm gonna have to. I, I turned up every every week or something like that. It it really mm. kind of started from about '98 '99 onwards, when I kind of got a bit older and I was like, well, I really want to get back to the football again, and you know, I need to I need to reconnect with this, and then and then that's when you know that's when I kind of really reconnected again. But you know, I I could have I could have just stopped watching. You know, look at, and it's not because obviously I didn't lose my team. It's just that I felt like I'd lost them because they they become so so nothing that you know yeah. it's it's really hard to watch them each week. And I just sort of, you know, try try telling a sixteen year old to watch a team that can win like three games in a season in a like twenty two round season. It's they're not going to want to watch. It's no point to it. It's funny you say that you stopped paying attention to Parramatta in ninety five. You know who else stopped paying attention? Super League, like their strategy in April Fool's Day to go after the top players meant that for them, Parramatta were an afterthought because there were no players that could move the needle in in public perception. But as they found out later, it would have been very handy to have a team like Parramatta in their competition. And, And you would have think you could have like signed up that club, you know, wholesale if they'd have gone after them early in 95. Probably, I mean, like you said, there's no one, there's no one of any significance in that team. I mean, I, I've got, I just opened the '95 team up and I'm looking at these names, and I know like 90% of them. I just remember them because I remember these these names on team sheets. I remember watching them, but like if I name these names, I don't think anyone apart from Paramount fans would have much idea who the hell they were. And yeah, like you said, they wouldn't. They, no one would move the needle there. There's just no one there that anyone would really care about. But yeah, I'm not sure. Like. At the time, Parramatta was really an afterthought, and I think I've I think I've mentioned it before. You know, um, it felt like you know Parramatta would just fall with whoever t- paid any attention to them. Like no one really cared about us, and we weren't really worthwhile even talking to. So, you know, if Super League had gotten up completely, we we probably would have been you know put to second grade or whatever the hell they they would have done to us. But I don't think we would have been surviving if if that happened. And if we had, you know, if we'd sort of really pushed and said, oh, we really want to come and join Super League, I'm not sure if they really would have wanted us. You know, like, they 
they obviously, you know, went with Penrith and Canterbury, and that's their kind of Western Sydney part. But yeah, just not sure. I'm just not sure what the the thinking was. But I think they would have got Parramatta straight away if they wanted them. I just don't think they wanted them. Mm. And so, as it turns out, they do stay loyal to the ARL, and because of that, in 1996, basically get a whole new team of Super League refugees. Uh, highlighted by the Filthy Four, you also had... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. Oh, sorry. This is Parramatta. They're the glorious four. <laughs> uh, there's no filthiness about them. They're the honourable, the fantastic four. Uh, it's probably a better name for them. Uh, those Canterbury people can just suck it. Sorry. You know, like, okay. it's, it's, not like a, it's not like a player never left Parramatta and went somewhere else. You know, we, we don't call them the filthy whatever leave, who leaves us. But, um, yeah, look, no, I, that's what I'm saying. You know, there's, there's some... That's what you're saying. There's some fantastic players that come in because of the whole Super League war issue, and and that's where the start of the the renaissance happens, really. Shout out to Nick Tedeschi, who I I think uses that term at least half in jest. Um, But but in addition to the the glorious four, as as we'll call them for this episode only, um, you also had Gary Freeman coming from Penrith, uh, Adam Ritson and uh, Aaron Raper coming from Cronulla. I know you had a couple more signings. Nathan Barnes came from Newcastle, who obviously were an ARL club too. But however it broke out, round one, 1996, you had two players that were in the corresponding fixture from a year before, which uh, I haven't gone into every season, but I, I think that would have to be near unprecedented to have that level of turnover in the space of a year. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you know, having... I mean, when you look at that team list from the year before, there's not many guys that you would you would worry about keeping anyway. So, and and then I suppose, I mean, I remember from when that happened, and we picked up all these guys. It was something like nine guys on something million dollars. I, I can't remember what it was reported in the newspaper. I, I think it was about eight million dollars from memory. Yeah, yeah, and that was it was about nine different guys they they had because I remember there was a big spread a big spread that was put on one of the newspapers, probably a Super League affiliated newspaper. Now I think about it. Um, that basically had the title "What's the matter, Parramatta?" When we weren't winning, so it was like you, you've tried to buy this, you've tried to buy the premiership, you know, you've tried to buy every single player, but look, you're not winning. And and in a sense, uh, see, I don't know when we talked about oh, look, the poor retention strategy and the poor recruitment strategy of Parramatta, it kind of feels like, I mean, I I remember thinking of sort of later in the nineties that maybe we were just keeping the powder dry. Maybe we could see something was happening. I, I at this point, I still thought Fitzgerald was a legend, um, and and was like you know playing all kinds of mind games, and you know that he that he knew what was going to happen, that he had some sort of inkling that Super League would happen, and he'd be able to pick up some players. But I don't think that's the case. But I I always thought, well, you know, we didn't spend a lot of money, we didn't go out there because there wasn't anyone that we could, you know, we weren't going to turn this around without some kind of massive investment. And then, well, are we, you know, we bring in these nine or ten or how many players we brought in, you know, of, of this significant quality. But then, like like I said, we didn't have, we still didn't instantly become a success. Like there was a lot of, you know, well, we should be winning, we should be dominating this competition because of the players we brought in. I never really bought into that because, I mean, fair enough, there's there's four really good quality players from a, from a premiership winning team and there's some other quality players there. But it's not like we brought in half the Australian team or anything. It was, there was still, there was still quite a lot of, um, what a way to go to to become the really competitive team that we had to become. Plus, there are also quite a number of significant injuries to those uh, you know off season buys in 1996 as well. But I remember like that was probably the the loudest I've ever heard the collective rugby league cries about trying to buy a comp. And there was there was actual glee from fans from the press that Parramatta didn't do well in 1996. That's that's usually what happens. Um, so when I when I talked about you know being a Parramatta fan and you've got the you've got the optimism and the pessimism all come together, the the other thing that seems to happen and it's happened this year as well is that the minute that Parramatta gets a little bit of success or looks like they may have a success, they get talked up and then they get slammed for it. And it's like I'm not sure why that happens. I'm not sure if it's it's something about Parramatta, but it does seem to happen. Like if we have if we sort of go, if we sort of try and reach out of our our kind of station life and try to become one of the the power brokers of the game, then all of a sudden everyone wants to beat us down. And I'm, I'm not sure why that happens, but it just seems to happen to us. Um, but yeah, look, 
they they really did play it up and it was you know the what's the matter Parramatta I mean I still hear them yell it out in the grandstands at Parramatta when we're not doing well <laughs> but you know it, it worked really well it was a great little line and and I think that um you know obviously because we weren't winning the competition it's you know that's just the way they were gonna that's the way they're gonna treat us. But then going into 1997, the Super League year, is is when the fortunes start to turn around. You had Brian Smith coming in as coach, who in, himself was somewhat of a Super League refugee. He left St. George because of the, the merger that was going to happen with East. He knew that he was going to be out of a job with, with Phil Gould coming in. Goes to Bradford. You, you think he would have always come back to Australia to have another go at coaching an ARL team at some point. So you and Brian Smith, who a complicated legacy, but but I think is a, a very good coach. What what are your thoughts of Brian Smith? Uh, yeah, look, I think he's an excellent coach. And look, I think you when you when you talk about it, you go from and look, I'm going to apologise to Ron Hilditch, but he's not a very good coach. You go from Ron Hilditch in '96 to Brian Smith in '97, and and the results are are almost instant. So you know it. it like you said, you can bring in as much players as you want, but you need a quality. You need the quality coach as well. And I, Brian Smith is a quality coach. And look, I, I know he gets a lot of beat down. I, you know, never won a grand final, that sort of stuff. It's not. It's not his fault that players turn up on a day and they're not. They're not prepared. I mean, it's his. It's his responsibility to make sure that they they are as prepared as they can be. But you know, I don't blame him for anything. Any of those those competitions that we lost. I mean, we lose every competition, but I don't. I don't blame him for any of those ones that we were a chance of and we didn't win. Um, you know, like it, regular season, Brian Smith is one of the one of the best coaches of the last twenty years or thirty mm. years, or whatever you say. You know, like he's he's turned teams around. I mean, he didn't just do it to us. He went on and he he did it for the Roosters. He went on and he did it for Newcastle. He's done it for you know teams in England as well. You know, I'm, I'm probably missing someone there. I don't know something else there, but well, he certainly turned the Dragons around. Dragons, there you go. I mean, I, 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 that was a bit uh, that was a bit before that, but yeah, you know, like he's. He's definitely able to get the most out of a team during a whole season, and then you know just has not been able to to get over the line. And you know, I, I'd just say that the Dragons team that ran into the Broncos twice, you know, running to yeah, running to the ninety two, ninety three Broncos, and see what happens. Like it's they they weren't going to get beaten in either of those. Um, and then you know, like maybe maybe two thousand and one's partly his fault. As a Parramatta fan, I blame the nighttime grand final, and that's that sort of seems a bit strange. But I do I blame the fact that. It was the first time it happened, and they just weren't, you know, the nerves that that team had. You know, imagine stringing your nerves out for fifteen hours. Mm. Have you gone back and watched that game? Uh, yes. I, look, I I'm not someone who won't watch things um, just because we lost. I've I've gone back and watched that one. I've watched the '99 prelim against Melbourne. Um, I don't think I've, I've watched some of the the '98 prelim against Canterbury as well. I went back to the 976 grand final because I wanted to see what that was all about because you know I was always talked it was always talked about as they they should have won they just that last pass got dropped and you know, that sort of stuff. So I watched 2001. It I mean I, I remember it from live and I remember having you know my sister was a casual fan she didn't really you know, she became a Parramatta fan when they were winning and some sort of sitting there and she just kept saying to me um, why are they not winning David why aren't they winning they should be winning I'm like I don't I don't know they they should be better than this. <laughs> And she's like having a go at me, and it's like it's not my fault. I'm doing, the, I'm cheering the best I can. It's one of those things where they just, yeah, you could see the nerves. I, I saw it. We saw it before kickoff as I was running on, and I just had this sinking pit in my stomach when I saw them. And, and I think it was you know guys like you know I remember seeing PJ Marsh's face, and he looked like he looked like someone had, had just jumped scared him or something. He was mm. he looked petrified, and the rest of them looked like that, and they just weren't prepared. Like, the, and I suppose you could say that's the coach's fault, but. You know, like they just they just weren't there for for that game, and it's it's such a shame. You know, in saying that, Newcastle was a pretty damn hot side, and they weren't getting the press they should have been getting. So it's not like you know they came up against a team who was it was any sort of chumps. They were they were a good good team, and you know, like you when you watch that game, it, it was over. You know, it was obviously over at half time, but once the nerves kind of once they kind of went, oh, this is over now, whatever, and they just started playing football again. All of a sudden, they started scoring, and I thought. What the hell's happening here? Like, that's the most disappointing part of that game is the fact that it ends up being thirty to twenty-four. Yep. If it would have ended up being thirty to four or thirty to six, I'd be like, okay, we just got real well beaten and you know whatever. But it just made you think, like, oh well, if we could just if we could have just started better, we might have won that game. 
and yeah, you know, like that's that's the feeling. And then you move on to the next year, and then they don't, then they don't repeat the the same. The team falls apart again. So, you know, like it's it's one of those things. I think it's a testament to how good, how dominant that team was that year that a team like Newcastle, led by Andrew Johns, can fly so far under the radar going into that grand final. Yeah, exactly. And look, this is the thing, is they dominated everyone. They were, at the end of that 2001 season, um, I think we're getting off topic, we're talking 2001 now, but that's fine. At the end of that 2001 season, you know, Brian Smith was resting players. He was he was leaving players off the field for the last 10 minutes in case we got a sin bin in the last 10 minutes. We were playing with 12. You know, we were toying with the com- with the competition, mm. still winning. And we were putting up big scores against teams. And in a way, I think that that's, that's part of what the downfall was as well, is they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared to come up against someone who was actually going to match them. And, I mean, in their finals games, they weren't really matched. You know, like there was no one who really who really was even close to us. You know, we, we pretty much won in a canter in, in most of those games. And then all of a sudden, you know, you come up against someone who, who comes out, you know, you're not, you're not prepared for it and they come out hard at you. And by the time you turn around, you're 24-0 down. You know, it's it's just one of those things. And, you know, there's there's points in that game that I've watched. You know, there's Andrew Ryan getting held up over the line. That's always painful because, you know, you kind of feel that if they if they got one before Newcastle got two or far in front, Maybe maybe that changes that result, but mm. you know it's it's really hard to know. And I mean, I, I've experienced it personally. Like in in '95, I played in a grand final and we were down 18 nil in the first five minutes or something. Um, ended up getting me 24-10, but you know, like it, we we kind of read, right the ship and everything. But we were we were just as good as the team we were playing, if not probably better. But basically, you know, like they went through the same hole. They they'd watched. Our, our tapes, like this is 95 and we're like 15-year-old kids. Yeah. But they'd gone and watched the tapes and they had identified an error, like a, a problem with one of our props who didn't move laterally really well and they targeted it three times in a row and by the time we'd realised what had happened and, and adjusted it, you know, the game was gone. So wow. in that way, 2001 is very similar. You know, they Newcastle targeted something and, and found that, Found that uh, I think they went on through the edge, didn't they? Keep going, didn't Kennedy keep going through on the edge or something? I think that might be what they did. I can't remember, but um, yeah, like uh, obviously being down by, you know, I think they scored three pretty quick tries in, at the start of the game, and then you know I think it was over by the time they by the time we'd sort of got any momentum back, it was it was the end of the game. Hmm. Yeah, we have gotten well off track. Very brave of you to be able to dissect that game like that. If if you talk about some some bad dragons losses i would shut it down after half a second no but... look see this is the difference between dragons fans and eels fans is that we don't enjoy it but it's so ingrained in us that we know like, i can i could go through i mean i i could go through a, a season that we talked about where Parramatta wasn't very good um and i can't remember exactly which season it was but i mean at these time it is sort of sort of a weird timing too because you know in that sort of early 90s and you know, we've talked about it before not all the games were on TV obviously you used to listen on the radio and um I do remember listening to a game and we were playing the Balmain Tigers and there was not many rounds to go maybe three or four rounds to go and one of the um one of the presenters had said oh look if Parramatta wins this game and the remaining games they'll probably they they're likely they're going to make the finals you know the results will go if results go their way they can make the finals and we were leading very late on, and um, I remember the the radio calls through, and you know, Bocker Roach puts his puts his nose through the line and, and offloads to someone, and they score, and they end up beating us. And then we went on a run and won all these other games to the end, and we missed out in the finals by yeah. not many points. And then I remember, and at the time, like they did the replay on the, on the news at, at night time, and I tell you, that pass was two meters forward. <laughs> it, it still it still haunts me as like you know, I was only probably like. 11 or 12, that sort of time, I can't remember which year it was, but, you know, they weren't a very great side, but they still had Peter Sterling, they still had Brett Kenny, and they were, you know, if they could have just won one or two extra games that season, I mean, they probably they would have got blown away in the finals, but they would have at least played the finals, and that would have made me feel much better about it, but, you know, I can, I can recount whole bunches of seasons where, you know, just one result, we just needed to get that one win, and, you know, that's, that's kind of a Parramatta fan logic, is that, we were we were just one game away, and if we could have just done that, then we would have won, and then we, glory would come because we'd win one and we'd win all of them. You know, like if if we win in '97, we win every grand final of 2001. That's the kind of logic in a Parramatta mind. But yeah. you know, we also know that that's not that wouldn't have happened. 
Uh, you, you really have uh, given further insight into why hypothetic RL is is the the way you've chosen to express your love of rugby league. It all makes sense now. Look. Perfect sense. I'm I'm the person who just wants to change history so badly because it just didn't go our way. <laughs> so let's look at the end of 1996. The appeal decision comes down. Super League is going ahead in 1997. We're going to get to it in the next season of our series, but this causes some crisis talks among ARL clubs and a real sense that clubs could jump ship and go to Super League. And Parramatta were strongly considered to be one of those clubs. They were the the last team to pledge their loyalty to the ARL. In in one of it might have even been on on the Facebook discussion group, but I, I remember seeing a comment from a Parramatta fan saying, you know, oh, we saved the ARL, right? And it was just in question. I, I couldn't really think. I I didn't really know what he meant by that. Parramatta saved the ARL. That's the only thing I could think he might have meant that by staying loyal in the end. It you know. But do you have any sense of of that? Uh, in a sense, look, I think at that point, and, and from that point on, this is where the problematic Dennis Fitzgerald chat happens. Because you look at this, you, he was a businessman, and he was just going to do whatever was best with, for his business. So, um, in a sense, you know, I think that they they may have been close to thinking about Super League. I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know what, they, what the, the internal talk was, but... You've got to think that, you know, if, if Super League had pushed hard enough, then we may have gone across. And, you know, I I didn't watch one single second of Super League in that 97 season. I just, because I was an ARL guy because my team was in the ARL, so I'm not going to watch that garbage. I'm not going to watch this other league, this Rebel League. But, you know, like it, it, it would have changed, it would have changed a lot of stuff. You know, if we, if we had decided to go across and become, you know, that, that extra franchise for, for Super League, um, yeah, it could have been, and I, I think that may be what he meant. You know that that if you know if that happens, then you know does does some dom- some other, sorry does some other dominoes kind of fall? Does it does it kind of tilt the balance? But especially because you know it, it would have been very awkward for you know those glorious four that they they'd signed Super League contracts, yeah. signed ARL contracts, and then the team they were playing for went to the Super League. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would have been interesting. But um, yeah, I, I I just don't know. I'm just not sure whether they were even close because it, it's very hard to find that information. I, I'm just not sure whether that's the case. And, you know, I, for Super League, I don't know if that would have been a good a good idea anyway because, I mean, they already had Canterbury, they already had Penrith. If you had Parramatta, all of a sudden you've got, you know, you've got Cronulla as well. You know, there's there's so many Sydney-based teams and that was that was part of the issue for Super League. They wanted to diversify. They didn't want all those. They didn't want, like, 12 Sydney teams. They wanted... You know, minimise them as much as they could. They wanted to go into new markets. So, yeah, I don't know. And I'm not sure whether they held out to last because maybe there was a sweetening deal or something that was on the table. Because that's also a very dense picture way of, of doing it. Plus, I think at one point he was talking about uh, converting us across to a rugby union team. So, yeah. you know, like we could have we could have done anything at that point. I I just don't know what they would how they would have um, dealt with that. Well, this this is one of my talking points for you. Is that you know our last episode was uh, our Bears case study with Nick Hampton, where I mean I have have a strong feeling that the Bears absolutely should have signed with Super League. I feel with with Parramatta they made the right decision in staying because I think when we're talking about the reunification of the game, that that need to to get down the number of Sydney teams and the fact that. Super League or News Limited would have had control of Penrith, Parramatta and Canterbury. You kind of feel that they, even though every team that st- Sydney team that went to Super League stayed a standalone entity, I kind of feel that there might have been some pressure for a merger between at least two of those Super League Sydney teams if Parramatta had gone. Yeah, I think I think the ARL was the best choice um, and it was, and it probably was because of that, you know, if you think about it, if if say Canterbury or Penrith had not gone across, then probably Super League may have been a better choice for them. But like you said, if you have two other teams very close to them in that competition, you know, I think you can pretty much look. I've like I said, I'm not going to bring it back to my podcast, but you know, I've done I've done those ten episodes so far. I talked about mergers, and when you look at it, you know, there's teams like Balmain, there's teams you know sort of in that that 
Canterbury region. You know, there's quite a lot of like cluster in there. And if you've got Parramatta and Canterbury, who are neighbouring, you know, junior districts, and you've got Penrith, who's the other neighbouring junior district, it, there's definitely a, a case that when we go to re- you, sorry reunification, that you're going to end up with some kind of you know merger that happens out there. And you know, look, I I wasn't totally against mergers anyway. Um, I don't like them, but if my team would have survived as a merger, then I would have just I would have had to support the the merger. Like it, that's just what I would have had to have done. But yeah, look, I think definitely Parramatta staying with ARL was the best choice, and I agree with you about North Sydney. Um, I think North Sydney either needed to go with Super League or get a whole bunch of umbrellas to, so they didn't have the weather issues to build yeah. their new stadium. <laughs> but you know, like that's that's pretty much their only option. If they if they made it to the Central Coast, they would have been safe, and if they Went with Super League, they probably wouldn't safe. The one thing that happened to them made them unsafe. So, yep. Yep. you know, and I think Parramatta picked the safest choice. You know, the other thing too is, you know, like it, that Rebel competition might have flourished and might have gone off a user or might have folded straight away. And, you know, it's it's one of those things was, you know, you make a business decision at the time. And I think, you know, if the ARL had folded and Parramatta had gone with ARL, then I think you'd have a Parramatta rugby union team playing out of, Paramount Stadium, you know, like I think that's, I think he had a backup plan. It's not mm. like he didn't have another way of going. Um, and absolute worst case, you know, there would have been an, he would just run a leagues club, as you said. Like, who cares about the football club? Just want to yeah. make money. So, it's on on your show. You've mentioned that Fitzgerald was offering himself as a merger partner to anyone who would listen. So it's it's kind of you know a minor miracle that they did standalone and you know there were certainly talks with a few different clubs uh i'm careful i don't don't want to spoil your podcast so i I don't know how how deep you want to go into it but oh look i'm happy for merger talks michael like this is (laughs) this is my bread and butter these like i've said to you before that when we had that chat at that time you know i i totally nerded out at that point this is when i probably got more involved with rugby again around 98 99 and i would you know, like I didn't have a computer at the time. I'd get out the sheets of paper. I'd draw up a jersey. I'd I'd draw up a new name. I'd make team lists. You know, that's that's why I'm doing that that podcast. You know, and all the mergers that we talk that I've talked about on that show are pretty much all the ones that I've maybe not all of them because there's some really wacky ones coming up. So, but uh, you know, I definitely thought about and you know, like Parramatta with their mergers, like he, they there was a genuine feel amongst Parramatta fans that. He just wanted that merger. He wanted to get rid of the old name. He didn't like it. Um, it's a, you know not a strong brand for a, for them for their lease club. And they thought, well, you know, who can we merge with? Who can we become a, a powerful you know dual leagues club with? And you know, like they they really did. They went out there and there were you know there was talks with North. There was talks with Balmain. There was talks with Penrith. I'm sure we would have had talks with Canterbury. I'm sure we would have had talks with West. I know, like I said, I think we had talks being a rugby union franchise. You know, I think if we could have merged with anyone we probably would have done it um but the the funniest one is the like the one that was really going to happen and then we talked about in the media was the the Parramatta Tigers and the Parramatta Tigers is is a funny case because from what I can figure out Dennis Fitzgerald was maybe not literally on the phone but was on the phone ready with the contract for the Balmain Leeds Club and said look you know just just let me know and we're, we're right to go and then at the last minute Balmain went we're going to be a junior partner here um, yeah. What can we do? And and West's become available. So, I think you know probably. I mean, obviously you're going to get well into it when we get closer to the to the time. But from my recollection, from what I can figure out, is that Parramatta was within days of becoming Parramatta Tigers, and then all of a sudden this this West's merger happens, and it was I think it was a shock to Parramatta. I don't think we realised it was going to happen. Yeah, you know, like I think the administration would think thought they were still talking to Balmain, and then all of a sudden it got announced. So. You know, that was a little bit, probably a bit filthy on that. But, you know, that's how we kind of, we survived that way. And then, obviously, once you had that merger, once you had, you know, you already had your St. George Illawarra merger, and then that last sort of one that falls where Norths and Manly make that awful merger they had, I think that was enough. You know, that got us down to the magic number, yeah. pretty much. You know, we had one extra, and at that point, Parramatta was so far up the criteria that we really didn't need to merge anymore. So, you know, that's probably where we were at. And I think the the contrasting fortunes of the three mergers we got shows you how necessary it is to have a junior and a senior partner. Like I, I think the 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 two great what is for me 
is the the Western Bulldogs and the Parramatta Tigers. I think both of those would have worked so well. We would have got the, the number of Sydney teams down. We would have got the areas right. We can talk about Cronulla another time. Um, but it, like to me, it would have been so natural for both of those mergers to go ahead. And yeah, I, I really regret we didn't get them. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that, like in all seriousness, and we're doing we're making a fun little podcast when I do mine. But when I do talk to people, the West Bulldogs one comes up pretty much every time. So you know, I do ask guys, no matter which team you are, what's the other mergers you think that makes sense? And yeah, Western Bulldogs definitely comes up a lot. I mean, Western Panthers comes up as well, but I don't think that's as good a fit. And you know, Parramatta with either Norths or or the Tigers comes up a lot. So you know, it's they make sense. They do make like logical sense. They make territorial sense. You know, there's there's definitely a junior and a senior partner there. But you know, if you're Balmain and in a in a leagues club sitting there in your in your meeting, and then you're going, well, we're going to basically get dissolved by Parramatta. We're just going to be able to keep the Tiger mascot. That's pretty much all we get. Um, or our other option is we go and take over the Western suburbs. You know, I think it's pretty simple what they're going to do. And the fact that West was still available was interesting because. It seems like Canterbury just thought, well, I mean, they were number one Sydney team in the criteria, so they didn't need to merge. And they obviously thought, well, it's no point for us. So mm. obviously the pool, the sweetening pool was not enough to make Canterbury make that movement. So yep. you feel like if, if they had done that or if, if there was maybe the criteria was a different way and Canterbury was a little bit more vulnerable, then, you know, I think the dominoes fall the other way. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm talking to you as a Paramount Tigers fan. And, you know, there's, we've got the West Bulldogs and, you know, you've got Penrith out there by themselves, which, you know, probably makes the most logical sense of Western Sydney. Yeah, I, I agreed totally. But I, I think we're, we're preempting, a, you know, a chapter or many chapters that are going to come in our series down the track. Just, just to finish up, I just want to briefly touch on the NRL era for Parramatta, which has been a very bumpy ride for you guys. Who, who would have thought that Dennis Fitzgerald was the key to Parramatta's stability? <laughs> well, look, you'd argue that we're we're stable again now. Um, yeah, yeah, it has taken a long time, but that's the thing too. Is you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call him a cancer, but when you have when you have someone that's so entrenched in in an organisation and you try and dethrone them, and I mean, like you said, the rebel tickets came thick and fast. Um, none of them really sort of offered anything to us that we that we hadn't kind of, you know, that we thought was actually better than what we had until finally we did get one and then it turned out to be a disaster. Then we had another Rebel. So we had a Rebel ticket on a Rebel ticket. Um, and just, yeah, look, I think I think what you've, with all those Rebel tickets, what you've got to sort of see is that there's a there's that delineation. So, you know, I sort of put those, that 70s and 80s team together as one kind of team, but... In the reality of of that club, or you know, of the Parramatta club, the team in the seventies and the team in the eighties are two completely different entities. You know, you've got a couple of players that go through both eras, but you know, the guys in the seventies, it feels like you know they they're a bit jealous of the fact that they didn't get the first premiership, and then it came in the eighties, and the eighties guy get eighties guys get all the glory. Um, and I'm not sure if that's maybe the tension that's there because when you look at some of those rebel tickets, it's you know, guys trying to get rid of Dennis Fitzgerald were mainly the guys who were from the 80s era. So you're talking about, you know, some of these these superstar guys and and they were trying to, you know, the guys that had the glory were trying to arrest the power back and say, look, you know, we want to go back to the glory days of the 80s and that's just going to piss Dennis Fitzgerald off more. You know, he's a seven, he's one of the 70s players. So, you know, it's, it feels like that was part of what the issue was. But then also it seemed like they just wanted to get rid of him just for the fact that they didn't like him. You know, there was this this feeling about, well, we don't like this guy. But he was, I mean, he was a stabilizing influence. But when you create that power vacuum, that's when there's no stabilization. So it did take a long time. Um, and, you know, obviously, I don't want to go through, I don't want to go through all the administrations because, you know, that's not probably what it is. But, you know, if you go through the era of, of the actual on-field, um, like you said, you know, we, we got this, we almost got inherited a team in the in the 90s and then, all of a sudden, the juniors started to come through again. So you've got, you know, Nathan Kalis and Nathan Highmarsh coming through in the late 90s, you know, and, and they're learning from guys like Dimmick and, and Pay and, you know, they're learning from, you know, Jason Smith and, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're picking up a halfback. We're getting Jason Taylor from somewhere else. You know, we're actually going outside and, and trying to pick up players. So um, it felt like the era, 
you know, we got called the Baby Eels in 2001 um, and it felt like we were going to be this dominant force for, for years and years and then once again just sort of fell apart again. So, you know, and then and they rebuild in 2005 and then it falls apart again and then, I mean, 2009's an aberration. That wasn't really that good team. It wasn't that good a team. But obviously, you know, making a grand final is pretty impressive and then out in the wilderness and again for another, you know, six or seven years and then we get to our current, you know, team which... You know, I rate them as a pretty good team, but, you know, obviously if I start rating them, then we're going to get people going on about how terrible they are. So, you know, you can't – I just won't rate them at the moment. I'll wait till, like I've said to people, I'm, I'm not going to believe that we've won a premiership until we're playing in the World Cup Challenge. So, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, I sincerely hope you get to see that. I sincerely hope you do land your next Peter Sterling sometime this century. Um, yeah, we we didn't even I didn't even really go through the we went through it really quickly. But yeah, that ne- next Peter Sterling thing. I mean, come on, guys, Peter Sterling <laughs> hasn't been around for a long time. I think we can find someone else. Uh, but on that note, we'll finish up. This was a, a fantastic chat, Dave. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, so once again, anyone who's not on top of it, uh, jump on the Hyper Space Thetic Space RL podcast. I have to put that in there because I've, I've you know plugged it in the past and people have gone like i can't find that that podcast you were talking about oh really so it has to have the spaces maybe i shouldn't have done it that way all right <laughs> that's cool i'll learn for i'll learn for the next podcast i start yeah don't put... too late now but uh you, you're doing some great stuff there so keep it up really looking forward to the rest of the irrational mergers series uh so dave thanks so much for joining me today that's all right mate look it's been an absolute absolute pleasure i've been looking forward to this for for so long, like ever since I begged and begged you to please let me come on your podcast. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll beg and beg to let me come back. You know, I, I suppose the listeners will speak with, uh, you know, they'll talk with, what, what's the term? They will... Uh, vote with their feet. Vote with their feet. There we go. So that's probably a negative. I can't even say it right. Um, but look, I, I'd really, really enjoyed this. It's it's one of the, you know, highlights of my NRL podcasting career. And look, you're you're very welcome to come onto my podcast and you know slum it down in in you know the depths of of hypothetic RL if you want. I'd love it. I won't make you do a St George Grand Final loss. You can you can no. pick something else. <laughs> um, but look, you know because I know personally, I, I always thought I would make you feel better if you can re- reverse the result. But yeah, it makes you feel worse actually. So <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> oh, no, that sounds great. I, I look forward to that. And uh, I'll, I'll speak to you soon, Dave. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll speak to you next time. <laughs>